Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to the Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Bye-bye, great reopening. Hello, counter-trend rally. Today, this market soured on the big winners from the just-ended first quarter as investors piled into the high-flying growth stocks that spent the last couple of months just getting hammered, sometimes mercilessly. Dow closing down 85 points, as it beginning 0.36, new record. And the Nasdaq, where the lost souls are clustered, surged 1.54%. So you got to ask yourself, has this market suddenly changed its stripes? Or are last year's big winners simply getting a temporary reprieve from a horrendous sell-off? If you're hoping that happy days are here again for tech, I've got uh, some lukewarm news. To understand what's happening with these former market darlings, yeah, I'm talking about it, and these are generic, the snowflakes, the Z-scale, or ServiceNow's sales forces. You need to remember why they got so disliked. Why did the stocks of Apple or Amazon or Adobe become such dogs, even as their business is extraordinary? I mean, I got to tell you, that Adobe conference call, Adobe call was unbelievable. The stock didn't do anything. First, some of today's move is probably just about the mechanics of money management. Mutual funds that have to disclose their positions have been reluctant to show that they own these names. It makes them look real stupid, right? You don't want your clients to see that you own such obvious losers. Many firms do reveal their holdings before the end of the quarter. Hey, so they can buy these names today, uh, last day, without making themselves look bad. But they care tremendously about that. Why are these stocks so embarrassing for professional money managers? Because this quarter has been all about the great reopening, thanks to our surprisingly effective vaccination program. We could be on the verge of an unprecedented boom, the Roaring Twenties, this time with a different century. And in a boom, you want companies that are joined at the hip with the economy, not companies that do just fine, regardless of the economy that we were all taught to like. So I'm going to give you a case in point. We're going to use this as the metaphor for the market so I can explain to you what's really going on behind the scenes. This is the stock of Cleveland Cliffs, okay? up nearly 17% just today. Now, unlike Fang or the Cloud Kings, Cleveland Cliffs is the opposite of exciting. This is an old-fashioned company that mines and processes iron ore so that it can be used to make steel. 
There is nothing sexy about Cleveland Cliffs, but when the economy's booming, institutional money managers don't want stocks with sex appeal, like a ServiceNow or a Salesforce. They want industrial smokestack stocks that can deliver gigantic earnings beats like the one we got just today from Cleveland Cliffs. Let's stick with this. Can you blame them? Last night, Cleveland Cliffs pronounced a sharply better than expected quarter, something these tech companies almost never do. When you get a positive pre-announcement, something that says Wall Street has no idea how well this company is doing, well, that creates tremendous buying interest. No wonder the stock caught fire today, delivering some fabulous performance for the money managers who found the stock of this ancient Cleveland company ahead of the pre-announcement. You wanted to be in right there, but we're not done. Let's keep using this. I can practically hear some of you saying, who the heck cares about iron, about pellets of iron? I mean, doesn't the future belong to data centers, semiconductors, Internet of Things, software service? Are we really getting all excited about a pathetic old Cleveland ironworks? To which I say, if you're thinking like that, you're missing the point of this entire industry we call Wall Street. Money managers don't care about iron. They're salivating over the comparisons that Cleveland Cliffs is generating versus last year. Remember, the number one driver of stock prices is whether or not a company can beat the earnings estimates that are created by Wall Street research analysts. The larger the beat, the larger the gain. Cleveland Cliffs says they can do $500 million in earnings for interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. This quarter, Wall Street was only looking for less than $400 million. That's a gigunda beat. The great tech companies haven't been able to demonstrate that they can deliver that kind of beat, at least not sustainably. Hey, look, look at DocuSign and Zoom, for instance, okay? They did report monster beats, but Wall Street believes those gains are ephemeral, that they'll evaporate once the country fully reopens for business. The other kinds of beats, they're all kind of, I'm not saying they're manufactured, but they're just kind of a little better than expected. So on the one hand, you have the stocks of gigantic name brand growth companies that can maybe offer modest upside surprises. And on the other hand, you have the stocks of industrial companies that are producing huge beats. Such big beats that they have to literally put out a press release saying the numbers that we were going to save, we were going to give you in another three weeks, we have to do them now. We have to reveal them because they're so much better than the estimates. And remember, Cleveland Cliffs is delivering these numbers even before Biden's huge infrastructure plan that was announced tonight. If Congress passes even a fraction of what he wants when it comes to infrastructure, that represents tons and tons of business for these guys. Let me put this the way that maybe you can, I'm trying so hard to get your head around this, but even though most of the industrials sold off today and the formerly high-flying tech stocks soared, the standout performer was still a 174-year-old iron and steel play. And look, the tech stocks weren't roaring today because Wall Street expects them to put up explosive earnings growth. No, that could propel their shares into the stratosphere. They're simply not part of the grand reopening story. They don't fit into the thesis that the big trigger pullers want. That's why I'm calling today counter trend. This is counter trend. Making matters worse, their stocks are too expensive for most professional money managers. These veterans prefer to buy stocks that trade on their price to earnings ratios, not on the more dear price to sales ratios, often default metric because there are no earnings. Sure, they won't go for a Facebook or an alphabet. You know what? Those stocks are so beaten down that they actually qualify as cheap even versus the industrials. I'd argue that Apple's in the same boat. But most of the tech stocks that flew today simply can't be counted on 
for big runs here because they don't fit the money manager profile. At best, they can get a couple days' worth of momentum. Now, you don't have to agree with the money managers who are making these calls, but you do need to respect their preferences because they run so much money that they can move stocks. They want any industrial company that can deliver incredible gains in a rapidly growing economy. We might have 10% GDP growth this quarter as America officially reopens and the stimulus comes flooding in. And look, it's not just that the industrials have better comparisons year over year. You got that inflation issue I talk about. As the economy gains momentum, that tends to produce higher inflation. Inflation is devastating for fantastic companies like these. Why? Because their stocks trade on potential earnings five to 10 years down the road. But inflation means those future dollars have a lot less purchasing power and those earnings are just eroded. Now, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade, especially not when the S&P hitting that all-time high today, showing that there's poor participation in the move. And I'm not telling you you got to bail on some of the great growth stocks of the time of which these are included. However, I do want you to look over your portfolio and do some critical thinking about how many of 2020's best performers you really want to own versus the ones that are performing well in 2021. As the second quarter gets rolling, I think this market will become even kinder to the industrials. And by the way, the banks, and even less hospitable to tech and healthcare. Remember, I don't want you getting blown out of this market because you're experiencing heavy losses in great companies like these. When you see these counter trend rallies like we got today and perhaps tomorrow, I think you need to think of them as opportunities to reposition. You don't have to sell all your high flying tech names. That would be a big mistake. But if your portfolio only contains companies that look like this with big sales growth and not a lot of earnings, you might want to sell some of them and swap into what's working. Look, I know you could argue it's better to own a Unity. What a great company. CrowdStrike. We have them on their fantastic Zendesk. You know I like them. Ring Central. How fantastic are they? Then some dirty old iron company. You would have been absolutely right last year. But 2021 is a whole new market that once again is playing by the old institutional rules that befuddle so many amateur investors and first-timers. Here's the bottom line. Money managers don't care about the most exciting long-term growth stories like the ones that are behind me. They want the companies that can deliver the biggest upside surprises right here, like Cleveland Cliffs. And if in a booming economy, that means owning boom and bust cyclicals like CLF and not the stocks of companies that may represent future growth or may not, depending upon their execution and the execution of their competitors. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Hi, Jim. This is Tom from Brooklyn. Big bull yards from Brooklyn. Oh, man. Good to Um, have you. I'll be there tonight, I hope. What's going on? Okay. Well, I'm recently retired, and um, I'm, I'm calling about Con Edison. ED. Right. I own it in an taxable account and in an IRA. And I like your uh, opinion on its outlook and the safety of its dividend and whether or not I should take the dividends uh, in cash or reinvest them in a stock. Well, we always reinvest here. That's been our preference. And uh, Con Ed is getting a little bit more of a uh, I'm not as favorable of the regulatory environment as I once was with Con Ed. I would actually say you want to be an American electric power down $10 from its high. I think that represents better value. Kevin in Texas. Kevin. Booyah, Jimmy Chill from Sugarland. Oh, man, good to have you. What's up? I want to let you know I got my second Moderna shot today. Get Congratulations. That That's what I want to hear. Thank you. Where's my Thank you. Shout out to my dad, Frank the Tank, also. Okay, that's uh, good. The reason, the reason why I'm calling 
is I recently started a second trading account for just my son, William. Okay. Where I will deposit small amounts of money into fractional shares, as you suggest. Good. Good. That's what I want. That's what I want. Fantastic. Yeah. Instead of penny stocks, I liked it Roku because of its disruptive technology. But it's also been falling. I know it's because of the yields. But I just wanted to check with you. Will he be better off with Roku as a best in breed? No. Here's what this is why I want you to look at this. He's got a long time horizon. Got his whole life to make the money back. I think Roku is very expensive, the stock. But I think the technology is terrific. The stock has come down from 46 to 325. It could go lower. But I like the idea that if it doesn't work, well, got the rest of his life to make the money back. And if it does, well, holy cow, that's what we want to see. All right. Now, I try to put my, this was one I spent hours on because I really need you to understand Cleveland Cliffs versus Roku. I think this market will be even kinder to the industrials and the banks, which I didn't get to go over, but I didn't want to overload you. And I think less so to tech and healthcare. In a boomy economy, it's cyclicals that money managers are hot on. I can't change that. It's just the way they were born. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, the cloud stocks are showing signs of light today, but what's the longer-term forecast? I'm going to sit down with one of the hottest stocks in the space that will give you another perspective. It's Encino, fresh off its report. Find out if it's worth considering here, or is it one of those that's just not going to be what's bought this year? Then the auto industry is playing with a semiconductor shortage. So uh, it, it, it could give a company like Indy Semiconductor maybe an upper hand, SPAC. And I'm talking with the CEO. President Biden just revealed the details of his infrastructure plan. What do we do? Well, I've got the exclusive with the Commerce Secretary's Gina Raimondo. And Gina, had, I think, had a lot to do with this kind of plan. Let's take her view on what the infrastructure plan means for the economy and your portfolio. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Cloud stocks rebounded like crazy today, but after spending the last six weeks where they just got pulverized, we kind of wonder whether we're really looking at a real bottom 
or just another temporary counter-trend rally, as I suggested at the top of the show. Tonight, we've got a good test case. Encino, that's the purveyor of cloud-based software for financial institutions from big banks to little credit unions. This is a terrific company. But ever since the IPO last summer, I've been warning you that the stock had gotten expensive. Lately, though, it's gotten much cheaper. Now, Encino's symbol, uh, NCNO, just reported a strong quarter. A nice top and bottom line beat 47% revenue growth. Numbers weren't totally perfect. Management's full-year sales forecast came in higher than expected. They're also guiding for a larger-than-expected loss. Six months ago, no one would have batted an eyelash at the outlook. In fact, we would have lapped it up. These days, Wall Street's a lot less enamored with revenue growth and a lot more focused on earnings like those generated by Cleveland Cliffs. So let's take a closer look with Pierre Naudet. He's the president and CEO of Encino. Learn more about the company and its quarter and its prospects. Mr. Naudet, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, glad to be back. Okay, so Pierre, we're in this kind of market that I frankly don't like. It's a market that is punishing companies that are spending too much because the opportunity to grow is so great. Sometimes I feel that Encino has such great opportunities that it's worth spending whatever you can. Is it, how do you make the uh, trade-off between how much you spend and therefore what you can earn and how much the opportunity is? You know, Jim, we've got a massive opportunity. We're sitting on a $12 billion serviceable, addressable market. And so we feel at this stage of the company, we should spend and actually grow and create a foothold in Europe. We're building new product. We can expand inside our own banks, as you can see from our net retention rate of 155%, our triple P actions we take to use banks. Um, the big thing there on cash flow is probably the fact that we didn't travel the past year. And we're planning in our plans to travel again this year because I think in the end it's important to meet your customers, see firsthand what's going on there and how I can help them. But then again, you're going to have higher expenses and there'll be these people who say, you know what, I don't need a company that is losing money. I want a company that's making money and not focus on this growth that you have. Well, we like to be a growth company. I think in software there's always winners and then a lot of ankle biters. And I want to be that number one winner that actually helps bank on a global basis. And then um, we can actually turn the cash flow on and off as we like to. Uh, but right now we're in growth mode and we prefer that mode. All right, so let's talk about a bank that you obviously are just kind of, they're obviously using your uh, software in, 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 throughout the organization, which is First Horizon. We have CEO uh, Brian Jordan on regularly. Uh, he's an acquisitive bank, obviously. It's not just a bank that's sitting there in Tennessee. How do they use uh, and Sino, so our viewers know what you do. You know, Brian's a great use case. So at the high level, Encino does three things. We onboard customers. We do loans of any type to help the bank to speed up that process. And we go open accounts. Um, in the case of Brian, they bought a bank. Um, and, and then that little bank actually used Encino, Iberia Bank. And we took that software into the nice bigger bank to be the standard platform going forward. And as they account new companies going forward, they actually will use Encino as the standard operating procedure. And that's a great example of how Encino expand and help these banks as they grow. Now, are you replacing someone who was at First Horizon? Or is it just that First Horizon didn't have this kind of system? Iberia did, and First Horizon wanted Encino. Uh, it's a mix. We replace between 10 and 15 systems when we take Encino in, anywhere from collateral to loan origination to account opening systems onboarding systems, et cetera. And we create a single platform. So in the case of First Horizon, we will do their commercial lending, their small business lending, their customer onboarding, and their treasury management sales and services. 
Okay, so now let's talk about Europe because this is pretty interesting. It's a big push. You're uh, not just, it's not, you're going to Germany. Obviously, uh, Japan, you are, I shouldn't just limit it to, to Europe. Why those markets? Are, don't we think that those markets are slow growing? Um, there is a massive need because of compliance requirements there. It's old antiquated systems, and we just see a great market opportunity. The cloud is new there. You know, I know you've got Salesforce and Mark Benioff on here from time to time. Japan is a great Salesforce market. That's why we went in there with a joint venture. Um, I feel good for long-term expansion in all of those markets. The banks have exactly the same problems as the U.S. They need to be more efficient, more fintech-like, and more customer-friendly. And we help them with all of those. Okay, so let's go back and look at something that I think is fascinating. I'm trying to find the right metric. I'm coming upon this one over and over again. Large customer growth. You want to get not these little niggling deals, the ankle biters. I like that term that you use. But you want customer uh, subscription revenue greater than $100,000. How are they doing? So what we saw in the past year is that the smaller banks got more disrupted by triple P and COVID because it's a smaller population of people who work in the bank and they have to turn their attention to the government loan programs. The bigger banks actually had the breadth um, to continue with their strategic initiatives. And that's why you're seeing our growth came a lot from these bigger banks that uh, could carry on with their strategic initiatives. Um, I'm seeing a return of the smaller banks now coming back and we've got a fantastic pipeline of community and regional um, opportunities that's coming our way. Why don't the regulators, this is mystifying to me, Pierre, why don't the regulators want banks that are digitized, automated, and streamlined, inefficient, uh, complex processes and workflow? To me, if I were a regulator, I'd say, why, why aren't you having Sino in here? Uh, I don't understand how you have 15 different systems. It seems to be that this is the way to be able to keep the regulators appeased and get your job right. I cannot agree with you more. As a matter of fact, I've met with regulators and I've told them you can do this from home then. You don't have to even to travel to examine these banks. Um, this really simplifies the examination process, the reporting procedures, and also help the bank internally that the exam becomes a non-event because Encino keeps track of everything. There's standard and canned reporting in there. So it really should be a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, that to me is the greatest reason to own the stock. I mean, to me, you're the solution. These guys don't have solutions without you. Pierre, Pierre Nade, uh, President and CEO of Encino. Again, this is a growth stock, people, and you should have growth stocks in your portfolio. You don't need nothing but dividends. NCNO, delivering again. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, can a company powering the next generation of automotive tech also power your portfolio? Find out when Mad Money returns. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
You know I think we got too many of these SPAC deals, although some of them are good. But now that everyone seems to be throwing in the towel on the whole group, maybe we got to look over, see which one's cheap enough. Give it a second look. Take Indie Semiconductor. That's a company that makes next-generation chips and software for the automobile industry. It's in the process of merging with Thunderbridge Acquisition 2, which currently trades under the symbol THBR, although it will become Indy, I-N-D-I, once the deal closes in the next few weeks. These guys have exposure to autonomous driving, connected cars, user interface technology, vehicle electrification, $2 billion strategic backlog. And by the way, it's just what the president's talking about. Even though the auto industry is currently plagued by a semiconductor shortage, something that could give chipmakers like Indy some serious pricing power, the stock's fallen from nearly 15 late last year to 10 bucks and change today. In fact, it's now almost exactly where it was when the deal was announced. You again, we need to be careful with these backstories, but this one deserves a closer examination. So let's check in with Donald McClymon. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of IndieSemi. Get a better read on where his company is headed. Mr. McClymon, welcome to Mad Money. Yeah, thanks, Jim. A pleasure to be here. Okay, so Donald, you are in the hottest area of semiconductors, but there's also a terrible shortage to the point where Ford tonight actually basically said, listen, we're not going to be able to make the quarter. We don't have enough chips. We're furloughing workers all over the country. Will Indy have enough chips to be able to meet its clients' demand? Uh, yep, for sure. So far, so good. Um, India is, is kind of a, a policy. We, we developed our supply chain kind of in our own image. We're wholly focused on the automotive market. So we, we picked suppliers who were also much the same. And to that end, they, they make the right decisions for the automotive market. So whereas others are struggling, we've actually really profited from the shortage. And we're seeing people coming to us looking to, uh, to make sure that uh, they can have some of the goodness in the future for their products. All right, good. We do have to take that off the table because some of these smaller companies have really been crushed by this. Now, I'm trying yeah. to understand the path from uh, 20 million, say, in sales to 500 million in 2025 because mm-hmm. a lot of the SPACs have been pretty aggressive and we don't want any of our viewers to be in a situation where the companies are overpromising and they can't deliver. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, we are in this space um, because we've been extremely patient. We've built the company uh, slowly and carefully over time. And as a result of that, we've built this real backlog. And we also have some real history. We've shipped more than 100 million parts into the business already. We have a track record. And uh, that really um, is going to grow very strongly. We have great visibility into this year, next year, and the years beyond. Because the bad thing about automotive, it takes a long time to get started. But the good thing is once you're in, you get great visibility going forward. Well, is that why uh, after you've been in business for more than a decade, you're still kind of at that 23 million run rate? Once you're in, it's going to start taking off? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there's, there's no shortcut in this business. Um, many people ask me how we managed to get into automotive so quickly in, in, in this business. And the actual answer is we didn't. It took 10 years. Right. And there, there is really no, sh- really no shortcut to that. You, you have to serve your time. You have to prove to these guys that you're ready for prime time. And once you get to that point, you build up a big head of steam. And, and really, that was why it made sense for us to go out and bring, bring the company to the public market. So this time. All right. Now, the president is talking tonight about uh, a lot of different mm-hmm. infrastructure issues. But when you break it down, what he really spends a lot of time talking about is climate change. And he's very electric vehicle focused. Mm. What does Indy bring to the party that would please and present an opportunity for automakers to uh, get to really team up with the government to get this thing done? Well, I mean, pretty much all of our products are, are synonymous with high-end, and e-vehicle has been synonymous with high-end to date. So any, any tailwind that, uh, that the e-vehicle uh, market has is, is great for us. 
Um, we're kind of in early innings in, in terms of our e-vehicle deployment, but we have several key wins in the in the area which are, are directly germane to the propulsion systems of the e-vehicle cars. So although it's early innings, I'd, I'd expect to see that some substantial part of our growth in the future comes from that area. All right. Now, our viewers are all familiar with David Aldridge. Uh, David came on uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Sky, when Skyworks was at $5. He was our second mm-hmm. guest. And he is putting his imprimatur on this company. Uh, how are you connected with Skyworks that David would want to be involved? Well, that's, that's funny because he claimed he was your first guest. <laughs> but, but, uh, he was second. He was second. But it was Regeneron was the first. He was saying they're both five bucks. They both, <laughs> they both made viewers a fortune. So I want to know if Indy's going to do the same. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we pursued him aggressively. Um, uh, his experience was exactly the journey that we're about to go through. And uh, having him uh, at my side uh, to guide me and make the right decisions to go in the same direction is, is really what I, I went after strongly. He, he was my, my boss for a brief period, although he probably doesn't remember me at the time because I was pretty low in his organization. But I've always been impressed by the, the cut of his jib, and I'm looking forward to him uh, helping us, uh, help, help guide us in the future. All right, one last question. Why a SPAC versus an IPO? Well, I mean, for us, it was just a question of timing. Um, We were on the path to IPO towards the end of 22, beginning 23, regardless. Um, And then the the SPAC opportunity came our way at the same time as we were seeing sort of a huge uptick in in demand from our customer base. And and really, the, the only kind of limiting factor to our growth in the past has been our balance sheet. I mean, typically... As a private company, uh, you don't have a lot of runway in front of you, and these, these guys are looking for you to be around in 20 years. So the opportunity was now. It gives us the, the firepower to our balance sheet, and uh, that's, that's really where we're, we're going to grow and we're going we're gonna to take off right now. So hope looking forward to the ride. Well, it, it does feel, after reading what Ford's saying and, we, and the shortages and the Secretary of Commerce talking about this, that you would have mm. one of the hottest deals ever at this very moment, just simply by being automotive semi. But maybe that's just being too simplistic, correct? Uh, no, I, I think that's true. Um, I mean, there are many auto tech companies that are going out at the same time, but right. you know, we provide the underpinnings. Um, for us, uh, we're, we're agnostic to the technology area. We're, we'll happily supply to, to the new entrants and the existing guys. And I, I think as an investor, that, that allows you a little bit of a hedge. You don't have to decide between LiDAR A and LiDAR B. If you, if you pick us, then the likelihood is that we'll be supplying to whoever wins anyway. So oh, I, like I, that. I think pretty much it does make us the hottest guy I in, like the, that in, the, very in the SPAC much. market right now. Uh, this stock would be, because of the way SPACs work, you might be getting a particular, particularly low price on this one. I don't say that about many of the SPACs. I want to thank Donald McClyman. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Indie Semi. Thank you, sir. Yeah, no, thanks, Jim. That was great. Thank you. And just so we know, once again, David Aldridge, who's one of the greatest, created Skyworks, well, made Skyworks solution to the company that we know uh, before Liam Griffin came in, is personally involved with this company. And to me, that's a, a very important seal of approval. They have money's back after the break. Coming up, from the Mad Money studio to the president's cabinet, and now back with the latest on President Biden's infrastructure intentions. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo joins Kramer next. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America. Unlike anything we've seen or done, since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact, 
It's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. It will create millions of jobs, good-paying jobs. It will grow the economy, make us more competitive around the world. That was President Biden earlier today unveiling the American Jobs Plan. That's a $2.25 trillion proposal that includes lots of infrastructure spending, but also has lots of money for long-term care, affordable housing, manufacturing, expanded broadband access, electric vehicle charging stations to pay for it or at least part of it. He wants to raise the corporate tax rate from 21% to 28%. Now, I don't know if he has the votes in Congress to pass the entire thing, but even if he only got part of it, it could have huge implications for the economy. So tonight, I'm thrilled to be able to speak with the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. She's the former governor of Rhode Island to get a better picture of the administration's priorities. Secretary Raimondo, welcome back to Mad Money. And I didn't even get a chance to congratulate you on your appointment. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. All right. Well, as the foremost business person in the cabinet, I thought you might be able to give me some perspective on where the common ground might be to get business and government working hand in hand to drive the economy and create jobs. Yes, thank you. The president's package is good for business. This is about boosting American competitiveness. And these are investments in everything that will stimulate business, job training, Uh, basic infrastructure, basic research, research and development, and something you and I have talked about, semiconductors, the building blocks of a future economy and a digital economy, semiconductors. There's $50 billion in the plan for that alone. So I am hopeful that when the business community, large and small, has an opportunity to look into this package, they'll see this this is about competing and winning now and into the future. And that's good for business and good for workers. Well, let's let's talk about the semiconductor issue. I know there's a terrific note about an office in the Department of Commerce who dedicated to monitoring domestic industrial capacity. But I believe that a lot of the problems with semis is that the Chinese double ordered. They were very smart about it. They're very competitive with us. I listened to an NPR interview the other day of you talking about the problem with China. The president, the second issue that he said of the great challenges of our time is the ambitions of an autocratic China. But here the CEO of Boeing said today, David Calhoun, we can't be locked out of that market. How do you balance these things, Madam Secretary? This is about outcompeting China. We need to invest in America, invest in American manufacturing capacity, invest in American workers and skill, get back into the business of investing in basic research where we have fallen behind. If we act now, we can't dilly-dally, let's take action, we will compete with China. There is time to do that, to rebuild, to build in semiconductors in particular, but we have to get to the business of doing it. And I have talked to, I think, every CEO of every semiconductor in America in, in the past three weeks, and they tell me they need help to build and to employ Americans in this industry across the board, you know, in foundries, in basic research, in job training, in advanced manufacturing, in research and development. And this that's what this bill will uh, the president's proposal will provide. When you decide that the private sector is actually providing enough money that you don't need to put the government's money in it. For instance, there are many references to electronic vehicles. There are five currently five electric vehicle charging companies right now that have lots of money. Should we be even further funding that industry, given how Wall Street will throw any amount of money at it? Well, I don't think that that portion of the plan is to subsidize companies per se. It's about building infrastructure, you know. And by the way, that's across the plan. It's 
investments in airports, investments in trains, investments in water uh, quality, investments in housing. You know, it's getting back to kind of rebuilding America so that when our grandkids look back at what we've done now, 50, 60 years from now, they'll look back at this as a turning point in America when we got to got back to investing in ourselves and in our future in basic infrastructure. Now, a basic infrastructure is often thought of as being, I, I talked to all the railroad companies, it, it's actually kind of, it's almost comical, Madam Secretary. They are winning because our roads are so bad. Well, how is that possible? I mean, we're a major country. How could the rails be winning because simply we don't have drivable roads? You know as well as I do, it's more than not drivable roads. We, every American doesn't even have access to high-quality, affordable broadband. How can you thrive in, a, in the economy of today and tomorrow if you don't have access to high-quality, affordable broadband? The answer is you can't. We saw it in the pandemic. Kids couldn't go to school. Small businesses couldn't thrive. And the reality for many Americans in rural areas, tribal areas, inner city areas, is they don't have broadband. That is infrastructure. Airports, the same thing. R&D, basic research. We have fallen to a place where we cannot sustain. So it's not as simple as roads, although, by the way, our roads are pretty bad, as are our bridges. It's, it's infrastructure broadly defined. And again, it's about competitiveness. If we want to compete in the technologies of today and tomorrow, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, right. you need to invest now, including, as we were talking about with semiconductor chips, but across the industry. But what do we do with companies right now? I can hear them calling me tomorrow saying, I heard her line, I heard Madam Secretary, and what did she say? She says she wants us to be competitive. If you raise our tax rate, we're less competitive. Well, if we raise it too high to an uncompetitive level, then I would agree with that. But that is not what the president is proposing. What he is proposing is a reasonable increase in the corporate tax rate to 28 uh, percent, below where it was prior to the cuts in 2017, low to a reasonable level and lower than it's been in decades, uh, and making sure that it's fair across the board, simpler, Fewer loopholes. I hear that from industry all the time. Simplify the tax code. Fewer loopholes. Fewer incentives to put workers abroad. That's exactly what the president is saying. So I understand not everybody will be pleased with an increased corporate tax rate, but it's in the reasonable range. It's competitive, and it calls for a simplification. By the way, today we will begin the discussion with Congress. The president has put forth a way to pay for his ideas. Let's have that discussion in Congress and land in a good place. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Madam Secretary. And uh, it's terrific to hear your voice. Thank you so much. Take care. That's Gina Raimondo. She's the U.S. Secretary of Commerce. A uh, lot to think about here with this package. May have money's back in. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com.
Before we begin, I want to make sure that you don't miss CNBC's Race and Opportunity in America special tonight at 8 p.m. This is so important. These are top-of-mind issues right now, and we're looking at the economic and social challenges facing the Asian-American community. I'm going to watch. I need to learn. I hope you do, too. And now it is time. It is time for the lightning round. Papers, what's that about? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the lightning round. Here's my story. Steve in Connecticut. Steve. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Steve. Hey, Mike. My stock is Hymax. H-I-M-X. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to go down the Taiwanese semis. we got to go to Taiwan semi. Let's stick with the biggest and the best. I need to go to Walt in New Jersey. Walt! Hi, Jim. Thank you for all your great picks all these years. Oh, this you're cool. terrific. Thank you. Thank you. And what do you think of Syntas? It's been oh, Syntas is terrific. You know, it's small, medium-sized business in uniforms. I've used them. Maybe you've used them. I think that this is in stock. You buy it, and it's close to putting it away as anyone that I've come across. That merger really gave them the unbelievable firepower. Allen in North Carolina. Allen! Yes. Hi, Jim. Good afternoon. This is uh, Allen. I'm a longtime listener from Cuddle and Kramer. First oh, my. Show. Well, you just dated yourself, my friend. You dated yourself. Yeah, that's, that's all right. But you're still a puppy, but we love you anyway. Thank you. Listen, uh, thank you for all your knowledge that you share. We, we, do, we just love you guys. I'm 79 years of age. I'm retired. I need some advice on a blue chip stock that has fallen on very hard times due to a hedge fund overreach. Last week was $101. Now it's 45 bucks. Is this the time to buy? The stock is now Viacom, CBS. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, this was one that really made people feel that the market's rigged. I don't blame them one bit. It wasn't, but this was just a fiasco. My take is you don't need this one, okay? I'd rather actually see you in Alphabet. Um, um, there was a piece today by Moffitt Nathanson, Michael Nathanson's really terrific guy, talking about how Alphabet's going to have unbelievable ad sales. That's what you want. William in Texas. William. Booyah from Texas, Jim. How you oh. doing? Chill loves you. What's going on? I'm a fellow Wall Street bester, and I'm okay. wondering about MI Homes. A really good home builder never gets talked about. I talk too much about Lennar and Toll and Horton. MI is fantastic. I like your call. Let's go to Matt in New York. Matt. Jimmy Chill. Yo. Second time caller. Okay. Big time fan. Uh, company I'm calling about this time. Got a ton of free cash. Great CEO behind it. But company's down 33% in a month. 77% in six months. But hold your breath. Given Biden's infrastructure plan, I'm wondering if uh, I'm going to be left holding the bag. Maybe I should sell half my position or just hold it. I'm talking about Hillion, H-Y-L-I. Oh, boy, a lot of people in my Twitter feed want to know about Hillion. I don't think you sell it here. I think you can get a bounce. These stocks are just way too low. Uh, but I hear you. I hear you. It's been tough. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. It's been over a year of learning and relearning about COVID-19. So what behaviors will stay with us long after this pandemic is over? Kramer's giving his take on trends to watch once we enter the post-COVID world. Next. All right. In the last year, we've learned a lot about pandemics including that we're very bad at dealing with them. 
Now that we're 13 months in, we keep seeing new retrospectives about all the mistakes our government made in the early days. First, we minimized it. When COVID first hit, the president was talking about casualties in the single digits. Many governors weren't better. Then the experts told us the virus was all about surfaces. So wash your hands. Hey, maybe make sure you don't touch people. At the beginning, they told us masks were useless, arguably the worst blunder of the whole ordeal. Although I think there still would have been pushback against mask mandates, even without the mixed messaging. We're still not sure why our nation's health apparatus dropped the bull here. We had major shortages of personal protective equipment, so maybe they lied to us about masks to make sure we had enough for first responders, for healthcare workers. Maybe they got thrown off because this was indeed a novel virus. Maybe they didn't trust the science coming out of East Asia, even though that's the only part of the world that quickly got COVID under control. Yes, largely by using masks. Whatever the reason, the moment masks became a culture war issue, we were in big trouble. And it sure didn't help that our public health officials had so visibly flip-flopped on this subject, used against them for the rest of the pandemic. But here's something I think we did learn. While this pandemic may be winding down this one, even as we're seeing one last spike in infections, nobody's taking it for granted anymore. We know this is the beginning of a period, maybe just a grace period. And then we're going to expect many more pandemics. After a full year of investigation, we still don't know what caused the darn thing. Was it, uh, was it bat-related? Bats mixed with pigs in some Chinese wet market? Could there have been a fish involved? Maybe a pangolin. Could it have been stopped with better livestock regulation or better animal control? We know that they haven't been shut down. We're clueless. Given our lack of knowledge, I'm betting, uh, I'm betting many of the tailwinds from the pandemic will stick with us. Because nobody wants to get caught in a bad situation if something like this happens again. Either another virus or a new strain of COVID that can beat the vaccines. Right now, when you get on a conference call, you're hearing about which companies picked up customers that will stay with them when the world goes back to normal. And that's the story Chewy told last night, which is one of the reasons the stock shot up more than 5% today. But you're not hearing about changes in consumer behavior that could get even more pronounced over time. I think COVID has done serious psychological damage to the whole country, meaning we may spend the rest of our lives preparing for the next pandemic, the same way many people who lived through the Great Depression spent the rest of their lives hoarding cash because they couldn't trust the banks. Let me give you some examples, some examples that could impact your portfolio. First, people keep fleeing the cities for the suburbs or the country. That doesn't stop because you don't want to be cooped up if we have to go back into lockdown. That's why I don't see the home builders getting clubbed anytime soon, even as interest rates have gone up substantially, albeit from low levels. They benefit too much from this urban exodus. By the way, I like the whole group. I like Zillow as a way to do it. I like tractor supply. Sure, eventually big cities will bounce back, but it could take longer than you expect thanks to fear of the next pandemic, but also because the last year has proven that working from home is very viable for millions of people. Second, we know that comorbidities, a term, by the way, we didn't even know a year ago, are what really kills you. The easiest way to lower your, your risk, staying in shape. That's one of the reasons why I like Planet Fitness here. It's also why I like Peloton. At least when some of the froth comes out of it, it's still a little high. Even though the stock's down more than 25% for the year, I think it still might be a little overinflated, especially after today's $5 gain. It's more than $30 billion market cap. Finally, and this is the one that I finally saw some love today. I like Apple. Here, several years ago, the CEO, Tim Cook, told us on Mad Money that he felt his greatest legacy will be Apple's pivot to health. The more I use my Apple Watch, okay, um, picture of me and my wife. The more I use my, my Apple Watch, I realize how indispensable it has come to staying healthy. Like I always say, I want you to own Apple, don't trade it. 
All these are plays on the next pandemic. Even when we finally beat COVID, I think this experience has been so traumatic that we'll be quietly preparing for the next one for years to come. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.